the super in- welcome on in to the superintendent radio network and episode 10 of beyond the page the podcast that dives a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in golf course industry magazine i'm matt lowell managing editor of gci joined today by brent downs the director of agronomy at otter creek golf club in columbus indiana and by our outside the ropes columnist tim morgan Brent wrote a great story for our September issue, which is online this week and will be in your physical mailboxes a little later this month, titled, The Kids Are All Right After All. Like probably a lot of turf heads, Brent has had some reservations in recent years about working with younger crew members, particularly teenagers. Through the course of the hiring process, he wound up with three on his crew for the summer, two young women, one young man, all of them very talented and all of them very driven. And by the end of the summer, he has no idea how he would have made it through a very challenging season without them. We dive in to those three young folks in particular and young folks on the course in general in the first segment of the episode. Tim is back as he is every few months to talk about his column this month it has a very simple but at the same time very complicated question at its core is this industry doing enough to support women there is no reasonable expectation that that question can be answered in an 800 word column or in 20 minutes on a podcast but it's important to get the conversation going and to keep the conversation going, that is the second segment of the episode. Brent Downs and Tim Morgan, after the break. My first guest again on this episode of Beyond the Page, Brent Downs. He is the director of agronomy at Otter Creek Golf Course in Columbus, Indiana, a beautiful 27-hole facility, and a new GCI contributor. His first piece, The Kids May Be All Right. After all, in the September issue, Brent details his workings with three teenagers, all of whom were graduating from high school and maybe some of the doubts that he had about working with them early in the season to I could not have made it through the season without you by the time the summer ended. Brent, welcome to Beyond the Page. How are you doing? Hey, Matt. Um, Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. And uh, right before we got on, you were talking about the weather being perfect. You have, by the time this episode airs, you're going to be right in a three-day airification run at Otter Creek what do you have to do between now and when that starts? Well, basically, get through Labor Day. I have seen our T-sheet, and while I'm never going to complain about the business, we certainly have to do some work as a GCM department around the edges a little bit to uh, get our prep ready to go. But for us, it's basically go through the equipment and make sure all our greens application pre-preps are done. But Right now, I would tell you, I think we're in real good shape. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And we, as of right now, could not have a better forecast for airification. 
and the weather can make or break anybody in this industry. And as you just said, great forecast. What, like, uh, I think the the highs are in the mid-70s. The overnight lows are into the high 50s, which is really astounding and, and I think a welcome thing here. Perfect. It is. We have three days as of right now. Well, really six days of about 77.55 or some variation around that. So you really can't draw it up any better going into that. Beautiful. So your first story for GCI, and I know you've got a couple more in the works here that I'm really looking forward to, is the kids may be all right after all, and you're dealing with Brooke Bruin and Charlie Frensemeyer and Caitlin Doherty, three very talented teenagers, all of whom are I guess virtually going to college now, but they're they're off to college. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You had this is I don't want to ruin too much because I still want folks to read this story, but sure. high up in the story you wrote, there have been countless stories written about the work ethic of millennials and Gen Zers in turf and other industries. We all know the stereotype. Lazy, technology dependent, sheltered, spoiled, entitled young adults. Unfortunately, my last few years I totally agreed with all of it. It got to the point where I almost refused to hire high school and college students in 2020 because I was so tired of watching them quit or stop showing up after it got tough. Woo! Playing, playing the stereotypes, but, but accurate. Yeah, I, I mean, and yeah, I, I've got nieces and nephews in that age range, and uh, they're great kids, but I mean, that that is the stereotype, and even they would probably agree with that. They may not necessarily be that way, but, you know, that is the stereotype. And I had seen it firsthand, unfortunately, for several years. And like I go on to talk about in the article, that may be true, but if I continue to just sit here and think that and not try and do anything a little bit different, then I'm just as much a part of the problem because just sitting around complaining about it doesn't address anything. And if you take me back to whether it was sometime in the spring or or late spring, whenever Brooke and Charlie and Caitlin initially reached out to you, what was the hiring process like? Because you're obviously looking for labor like so many other superintendents and and directors of agronomy in this industry. Sure. Charlie was actually with us last year. Uh, He was a junior in high school, so... It was a little bit different with him last year because he, you know, there are a little few more work restrictions under the age of 18 and things of that nature. Plus, he had a little more of a schedule where he had a lot going on. I thought he was decent. Um, I thought he had some growing up to do and things of that nature. But the Charlie who showed up this year was a different person. I, I don't know what changed in that process, and I've told him this many times. He was phenomenal. Brooke and Caitlin were a little bit different. They are uh, high school best friends uh, at a local high school. They they reached out to me actually just through one of my board members. Uh, she came to me and said, hey, I may have a couple of people to help you out just looking for jobs, and because of COVID-19, the, the work market was a little bit different this summer. And I, she's like, are you open-minded to having a couple young adult females? I'm like, hey, if they're willing to join the party, absolutely. I mean, I, I, that never even really crossed my mind. And 
turns out they came on board and uh, one thing led to another. Um, I was a little bit apprehensive in the early stages knowing I believe Brooke had worked at a Chick-fil-A as her prior work experience and Caitlin was a server at the local Eagles club and you know so when I showed them both the greens mower the the confusion kind of set in <laughs> but turns out none of us had anything to worry about just smart kids they pick up on things really quick uh all three of them will be very successful uh wherever they go and charlie's actually going into the turf field so he's uh he's going to be a good one it's fantastic and we'll absolutely get into that in this conversation i'm curious though brent you'd mentioned obviously there were some challenges this year as there have been everywhere in this country especially in the early stages early weeks and months of the pandemic what were some of your challenges in columbus indiana not the biggest metro market in trying to get some more seasonal help really it was just how much contact i was allowed to have uh just with with some of what we went through in indiana um a lot of people just you know, weren't really out actively searching for jobs uh, this summer. That was the biggest thing. Or if they were, they were more work-at-home type of things, things they could do on Zoom, uh, things of that nature. And I'll be honest, with people who were already employed with with some of the unemployment surpluses and things like that that were going on, uh, I would say in the early stages just not a whole lot of people looking for work initially. And combine that with the fact that we were also had been forced to reduce. Uh, I, I had furloughed some staff for a little bit and things of that nature. So, you know, at the time I was furloughing, I really wasn't thinking about hiring more people on. I had to wait till some of the restrictions were lifted before that thought even came across. And truthfully, it's one of those things where timing is everything. At the same point, I was opening back up. That's at the same point. At the time, Caitlin and Brooke were looking, and Charlie was looking to come back. I've talked with superintendents and directors the last couple of months who've gone from, or went from, earlier this season, a crew of 40 to 20, from 24 to 8, uh, from 9 to 2. So you, you were, you were kind of in that same boat, especially early on in March and April. Very much so. In March... Um, I think I mowed more rough myself than I had in the previous 19 years of my career. So that, that is certainly an accurate statement. Um, we, we definitely dropped back, but we also had, we had guys willing to kind of shift their schedules that we were able to keep on and things of that nature just so we were uh, able to keep the grass knocked down for about six weeks. So very thankful to, you know, those staff as well are, are a little more of our regulars, um, retirees, and things like that. Um, everybody really came together this summer and did a really nice job. Um, you know, it was certainly full of challenges, but I, I honestly couldn't be prouder of them. And obviously, we're talking more about the teenagers in Brooke and Charlie and Caitlin, but your crew this summer was how big, Brent? Uh, if you look at, I have a lot of part timers. If you look at it in terms of true man hours, uh, about twelve. Truthfully, in terms of people, closer to fifteen, sixteen. But you know, when you break down the part time and what the actual hours look like, it'd be the equivalent of eleven to twelve forty-hour a week employees. 
And that was this summer in, in the normal times, in the before times, what was it roughly? 16 to 17, wow. give or take. Uh, with 27 holes and, and a 400-acre property, it, it, it takes quite a bit of manpower to keep this place at the level we expect it to be. Your apprehension or preconceived notions prior to this year about working with teenagers, was it just the fact that you were so stuck on labor and stuck on who was applying that you just kind of brought them on? Was it almost begrudging, or what was the thought process back in March, April, May? Truthfully, Charlie was just, uh, I needed the help, mm-hmm. and Charlie had done a good enough job the year before. Uh, I, he came so far this year, I, that was unexpected and a very pleasant surprise, and now I couldn't be more proud of him. And with Brooke and Caitlin, I'll be honest, at first it was a favor to a board member. Um, you know, I needed the help, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't going to say no, but I wasn't actively looking at that point when Toby came to me with Brooke and Caitlin. So, and it turns out, you know, sometimes the things most unexpected work out the best because, yeah, that I couldn't have done it without them. Is this the most teenagers, most high school, early college students you've had on crew in a while? Or is this a, in every summer kind of situation? No, every summer is, in the past, has been, it started out as three to four, um, even in a couple previous places, five. Uh, usually by about the first month, it was one or two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's just the way it went. Uh, I wish I could tell you a different story, but no, that's fairly accurate, which is why I myself had kind of started to look in other directions. Well, and as you wrote in the story, it you've had so many of those conversations that it got to the point where you could predict when they were going to come to you, when they were going to quit, what the reasons would be. And you even said, I think, uh, in the story that it got to the point where I could just zone it out and say, okay, thank you. Yep. I mean, it's, I, I heard so many very, even as an assistant, I had heard the same thing. I mean, and hey, I mean, if it's not a right fit, and that's something I told all three of them, I would rather you be honest with me if it's not a right fit. I mean, there's no point in either side wasting their time, but it, it just gets to a point where you, you start hearing the story and you're like, okay, uh, you're done. I get it. Thank you for the time you did give us and, you know, start thinking about how I can make it work with another person down. Right. And, again, don't want to spoil the story for folks who are going to get this online later this week and in mailboxes a little later in the month, page 38 in the September GCI. The kids may be all right after all. But, Brent, what are some of the tips, the lessons that you learned this summer from these kids in terms of looking for the right help, hiring the right help, and then really putting them in a position to succeed once they're on your course? Well, I actually thought the first thing, one of the most telling things I had, and I talk about it in the story, but just just to give a little bit of a side note, I brought the three of them into the break room one day, and I'm like, all right, I'm a little bit shocked and uh, in a good way how well this is going. I'm like, how do I find more like the three of you? And Brooke is probably the most vocal of those three. Uh, she's not shy about giving an opinion, which I think is great. Uh, I always got honesty. 
And uh, she piped up right away, and she's like, you're looking for the wrong people. She's like, you need to – she gave me the number of the athletic director at Columbus North, which is where she went to school. And Caitlin and Charlie followed right away with their ADs. They're like, you need to go for the athletes because it's a physically demanding job. And, you know, that's who it's going to appeal to. I mean, we're not we're not here for the money, uh, you know, uh, just for a few bucks to throw in our pocket. But one of the things you can sell is the fact that it is a physically demanding job. And if you have a sport you need to stay in shape for, that, that's a big selling point. She's 100% right. I'm not from Columbus, so I'm not as wired in here as some other people. So in my first couple of years here, I relied on people to kind of come to us. Uh, that's, and that was my mistake completely. I, I learn every day, too. So, you know, at this point I have uh, initially reached out to the ADs. And granted, with COVID and us coming to the end of the season, I just wanted to make contact, get my name out there. But once we're ready to kind of fire up next season, I, I'll be on the recruiting trail pretty good. So I, I, I give Brooke a lot of credit on that. She was the first one to speak up. And Brooke being a college softball player now at DePaul and an all-state softball player in high school, you know, she would have been the one who first went right there. And I was never all-state. I was barely all-conference, but I ran cross-country and track in high school and a little bit in college, and it makes total yep. sense. Like, I think back to the jobs that I had at 17 and 18. I had friends who made more money, but I worked as a camp counselor in the morning, and then yep. I went to the grocery store, and I was on my feet for eight hours. And so I'm on my feet for 11, 12 hours a day in addition to running probably 45 or 50 miles a week. I was in the best shape of my life. Came in junior, senior year, had two great seasons. So it makes sense just trying to find those teenagers who need to stay in shape. And, hey, here's a little money to stay in shape, too. Oh, absolutely, 100%. And with Caitlin, you know, high school basketball player, Charlie football and baseball, I mean, it, it all appealed. And because of that, because they were already athletes, I mean, they came in a little bit ready for the physical demands. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was – that was a big one, but the the biggest thing that comes out of this, and, and I state this in my article, is that the biggest change I made with them this year is, in the past, I, I kind of thought of that labor as weed-eating, weed-picking, you know, just menial tasks that, while they go a long way, I'm a big person on details, it, it doesn't require a whole lot of skill and talent, but with these three... Um, I was able to push them. I mean, in, in no planet when I brought all three of them back, in Charlie's case back, and Burke and Caitlin, you know, on board, I never thought they'd be greens waters, triplex greens mowers. I mean, they got to a point where I, I trusted them with some of the most high-level stuff we do. I mean, especially with the uh, the water. I mean, where Otter Creek sits, uh we are very technical with how we water, and we have to be just because of the humidity and lack of airflow out here. And I got to a point with all three of them late in the summer, I didn't even have to tell them anything. I, I'd give them the quick rundown of what we had seen that day, and I turned them loose. And I, I tell you, it's been a long time since I felt that way. You know, just that kind of trust I had in folks, and uh, it was it was very rewarding. That is fantastic, and it's only early September. Is it too early to ask them if they're going to come back? I know you mentioned in your story that 
Brooke is going to go to DePaul, and I think you mentioned she's going to play softball there. Uh, Caitlin going to Purdue, boiler up, as you write in there. And, <laughs> and Charlie, Charlie's going to Ivy Tech uh, local community college. Yep. And he has a future in this industry, you say. Have, yeah. Are any of them coming back? Do you know? Yeah, Charlie's going to stay on board. He's actually okay. part-time with us right now while he's in school. I mean, I keep him pretty restricted right now because I want him to focus on his studies, but he still helps out on weekends. And Brooke and Katie have a standing offer to come back. With both of them, I'm betting they, I hope they come back, but I'm also guessing that they'll probably end up interning in their chosen fields, which there's nothing wrong with that. But both of them stated their enjoyment here. And if they change their mind, the door's wide open. But if they don't change their mind, I think the one thing they, they'll they still be helping me, they just don't realize it is both of them will help me recruit because of the experience they had. And like I said, I, I now know people at both their high schools. And, you know, I've got, I've got flyers with both their names on it talking about how much they enjoyed it. And hopefully it works out. True testimonials, building that pipeline from the Absolutely. high schools. Absolutely. Word of mouth is the best advertising you can get. That's awesome. And when you talk about Charlie having a future and, and being part-time with you right now, has he expressed an interest in working in the industry long-term? Oh, yeah, yeah, no. That's what he's studying, and that's what he's going to do. His current plan is to finish up a lot of his basic classwork at Ivy Tech and then transfer into Purdue, of course. I'll follow that with Boiler Up, just like I did with Caitlin, so... But no, that's. Uh, I think he's got a very bright future. Like I said, he was he was good last year. I mean, I make it sound like, you know, he was unacceptable. No, not in any way. He just he had to grow up a little bit. I mean, he was only seventeen. So, but this year, no, I, I saw so much growth in that young man that he, he will be very successful in his future as well. It's awesome to hear. Maybe a longer term employee until he gets yep. out and gets an assistant job of his own. Absolutely. Or, you know, I've even taken it to make contact with a few of my industry contacts. There's there's some other things. I mean, I, I had a lot of varied intern experiences and assistant experiences, and I've highly uh, recommended to Charlie that he do the same thing. I mean, you... It's great, and don't get me wrong, I love having a very productive employee, but he also he needs to see some other fields and check that out. So I've actually reached out to some of my contacts who I think would be really good for him to work with. So hopefully that works out in the future too. I mean, I just I want to see him grow and, and become very successful. It is so awesome to hear the summer help becoming potentially full-time employees in this industry. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I was uh, I was very proud, and just I mean, really, all, all three of them will be successful. I mean, they're they're in the doubt in my mind because I threw them in the fire, and like I said, by the end of it, you know, they they were almost asking for more. I mean, just more learning, more training, more stuff like that, and you know, that's that's something I also learned through all this is you got to recruit the right type of personality, and that's where the recruiting part comes in. Is Not everybody's going to be like that, but that's that's the type of employees I think we all in this industry are looking for. And last question for me, Brent. Anything else you learned in addition to that 
or anything else you want to impart to other turf pros just about working with working with the young kids? Yeah, I I actually never really mentioned this in the story, but it I'm not going to say it's a huge deal, but it ended up being a just another thing that makes them a little bit more comfortable. I came up on the private club side, and Otter Creek is very public, very accessible, very successful in that regard. So we don't have full-scale crew uniforms, but I still expect people to, you know, look a certain way, you know, no sleeveless shirts, you know, closed-toed shoes, all that kind of stuff. With the three of them, especially when we got into the watering portion of it, I lightened up quite a bit on some of my rules, I guess, if you will, in that regard. Just, I wanted them to be comfortable, and I think just my overall attitude toward that went a long way. I mean, I I didn't let it go too far, but, you know, I let them wear flip-flops and, you know, gym shorts while they were watering and stuff like that, just because I got thinking about it, you know, yeah, I, I hate having wet shoes, too. So the, mo- the more I thought about it, the more just some of my private club, no, you have to be in full uniform every day. Within reason, I let up quite a bit on that, and I think it went a long way. You know, I've often heard stories about, you know, sometimes if very strict people loosen up a little bit, you know, you'll kind of get a better response in turn. I mean, you have to pick your spots, but just things like that with us went a long way. You know, I made the environment, I tried to make the environment as enjoyable as I could because the work's certainly not easy, but, you know, I tried to be really you know, a little bit more relatable. And the the one thing I can say to that is where it must have worked, and I was so flattered I, I almost didn't even know how to react, is all three of them were classy enough. Even though we were in COVID, uh, all three of them had graduation open houses, and I was very, you know, honored that all three of them invited me, and, you know, I made it a point to attend all of them. So I, I just thought that was real classy i mean that's just not something i'm used to i was gonna say when was the last time you were at a graduation open house was it your own uh one of my nieces or nephews from like five six years ago otherwise yeah the you would be correct and that that just it it caught me so off guard i didn't even know what to say but no i was very very thankful and flattered and it's nice for them too to have a boss that they like and trust enough to invite to you know, it's not the biggest life event, but it's an important moment. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I thought the same thing. And I just thought just the way we all work together, I, I just I couldn't have asked for a better summer, especially in one of the most challenging ones we've ever had. So, well, Brent, I hope the rest of this year is a little easier for you as it is, I hope, a little easier for everybody in the industry, and that next summer you get as many great high school kids well, I, I hope so too, Matt, and I appreciate the time and you having me on. And, yeah, at the very least, at least I know how to go looking for them. So that's, that's better than I've felt about it in a long time. Brent Downs, he is the director of agronomy at Otter Creek Golf Course in Columbus, Indiana, beautiful 27-hole facility, and as of the September issue, a brand-new contributor to Golf Course Industry Magazine. You can find the kids may be all right online this week and in the pages of GCI in your mailbox coming up a little later this month. Brent, thanks so much. Matt, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good luck.
My next guest on this episode of Beyond the Page, a familiar name and a familiar face to listeners of this podcast and readers of Golf Course Industry Magazine. He is, of course, a longtime, longtime contributor to GCI, the author of the Outside the Ropes column, Tim Morgan. Welcome back to the podcast. Tim, how are you doing? What's going on? I am doing well, Matt. How are you today? Hope your Labor Day weekend was a fun one. It would be more fun if we didn't have uh, two leaking points in our roof and our back steps, but outside of that, not too bad, no complaints. Excellent. Excellent. So, Tim, your column in the September issue, which will be online this week and in mailboxes a little later this month, very important column, always a timely column, and the headline is Beyond the Ladies' Tea. It is about 800 words and it could have been 8,000 words, honestly, uh, diving into what the industry is doing to attract women, to retain women, uh, to get women in points of, of leadership or points of control. And I'm going to ask, first off, the, the question that you ask in your lead. Is our industry doing enough to attract and retain women? Well, that's a great uh, it, I think it's an important topic for our industry, golf course maintenance, but more importantly for golf. Um, you know, I tried over my time in the game, and I think it goes back with me. My dad, back in the 70s, you know, was asked the question about, you know, going to play an all-male club, and he was always kind of weird about that. He said, well, I would remember saying, well, how come there's no all-women club? You know, what's wrong with having an all-women club? And then it kind of transferred a little bit to my mom, who was, my mother was a pretty fair player in her day, and my dad taught me, you know, you need to, to, we were playing golf one time, and he said, you know, I said, do you want to play all the way back? And he said, no, we're going to, back in the day, they called them the ladies' tees, you know, so we're going to play the ladies' tees. And I said, well, why do you want to do that? He said, this is where your mother plays from. If you're going to get into this business, you need to know what she has to endure, not not so much what I have to endure as a, as a man and a better player. And I said, well, that kind of makes sense. So what, we, what he tried to get me to do is, well, your mom hit the T-side list, it was 185 yards. So whatever you hit 185 yards, be up for her feet, played her landing zone, played her second or third shot in the green, and try to understand from a female perspective. And then as I kind of morphed through uh, my career, I just started to see, you know, obviously the male-dominated sport. And there was always the LPGA and Women's Amateur and Women's Open, you know, the Dinosaur and all the great women's championships. But no one really got any attention. And I just think it's unfair because, in my opinion, uh, you know, women are the toughest species on the planet. And uh, usually... As we talked about in a, in a column I did several years ago, breaking the grass ceiling, mm-hmm. are, are we doing enough in golf? And more women and what they can do for the industry, not only in maintenance, but in teaching and uh, you know, director of golf, general managers, uh, club presidents, and then you see uh, one of my dear friends, Jan Beljan, who is uh, you know president of the Architects Association, uh, and then. I morphed into the USGA, and I also got another huge lesson in women's golf, first from E.J. Boatwright, who was one of my direct reports as far as the competition was concerned. 
but more importantly from Judy Bell, who was, uh, you know, she was, she was just the greatest person and taught me so much about the great women players. And, you know, because of Judy, I got to meet just about every great woman player that was alive uh, from 1986 through 2008, my time with the USJ, and, and got to learn what Patty Berg and Babe Zaharian and, and Peggy Kirk Bell and, and Judy herself and Barbara McIntyre, Joanne Gunderson, uh, had to go through uh, in getting quality venues, getting respect, and, you know, just playing the game. So I went out, here we are at the, the GCSA this past year, January, February, when we was down in Orlando, and I've been trying to get to the women in golf function. Alicia Schwab, who's the superintendent of, uh, I want to say she says it run, I apologize if I have the wrong name off the top of my head. I wanted to meet her because we had done an article, our magazine had done an article on her, and she's done a lot for women. But I wanted to go a little social, and, and I, just, you know, I, was a little, I was disappointed, I was encouraged, but yet I was disappointed. I thought some of our industry appearances were gratuitous. Uh, I know, the, you know, the GCSA president and, and CEO, Brett Evans, don't have that much time. John Schilling is new in the job, and he's trying to make as many appearances as he can. But I just thought some of the male participation was a little gratuitous, a little shallow, and I said, you know, that's kind of picks me off. Because I look around the room, and there is, there is you know, Leah Brailman and Pat Bidham, and, you know, uh, there's, there's just one after another. And then I met a whole bunch of other people. You know, we need to kind of see if we are doing enough. I, I know that uh, my, my dear friend Rafael Barajas is doing an mm -hmm. incredible amount for the Latino participation in our business and trying to move them just away from being just a laborer and being more valuable to the system. A dear friend of mine, Juan Perez, the rich superintendent in South Florida. So anyway, I just felt that women kind of got a short end of the stick, so to speak, and I think we need to bring this... Uh, issue to the forefront. And the folks you mentioned there, great leadership, uh, the folks who are in points of leadership, is there an opportunity, do you think, in the next year, two years, five years, for the industry to expand and open up to more women in points of leadership, whether it's through having someone like uh, Jan Beljan as, as the head of the ASGCA or having great women superintendents uh, at, at, at great clubs, just kind of laying that groundwork for for future folks? Well, I think, I think there is, but it can't be kind of like a, a, you know, a pseudo-affirmative action type sure. of program. It can't be gratuitous. Uh, it's a two-way street. I mean, Judy always told me, you know, she had to work twice as hard to get half as much respect, but she didn't want anything given to her. And I know when she became the first president of the USJ, I mean, she, she was more than qualified as a person and the, and the appointment wasn't because she was female is that she worked hard she went through the process, she climbed up the ladder, she fought a lot of battles for other women in the industry and then the, the end result was her report as president of the USJ. I still think the same can be true for the GCSAA I don't know if you want to do women's only seminars, I don't think they, that would again be sexist and somewhat degrading. I think that, you know, everybody's equal, we're all the same under under the sun, and, and that if you want to educate yourself, you go educate yourself. But I think there has to be a focus on encouraging women to participate, get involved in 
you know, a, a, a turf school, an agronomic institution, have that institution, whether it's Penn State, NC State, UC Riverside, I don't care, you name the school, you know, try to encourage women to get involved because I think the profession really works in their favor as far as their dedication, their commitment, their intelligence, and their more importantly, their attention to detail. I mean, I just see, they see things totally different. They're, you know, I mean, it's a profession that because of, of, of how they go about the business and pay attention to detail, I mean, I think their attention to detail is second to none in many respects, and, it, you know, which is a huge part of our industry, and I think that was, you know, as far as the success standpoint, go a long way. The first segment of this episode of Beyond the Page, I talked with Brent Downs, who is the Director of Agronomy at Otter Creek in Columbus, Indiana, and he had three young high school age, I think they were all high school senior, students on the crew this past season. They're all off to college now. Two of them were young women, 18 years old, treated them exactly the same, uh, gave them the same work. They did an incredible job. Uh, one of them is a now going to be a college softball player, was I think an all-state softball player in high school. Is that where a lot of it can start at that level, like you bringing in 16, 17, 18-year-olds, or is it something where women can come to this out of college or even you know a few years into their professional career? Is there any set path, or, or is this, you know, you can kind of choose your own adventure in the industry, would you say? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think there is a set path because, you know, it says uh, one uh, woman superintendent, you know, who started on the crew, she, you know, she said, I started, you know, her dad got her into business and uh, she started on the crew and worked her way up and didn't want any favors, didn't want any uh, treatment, you know, I mean, whatever the job is, I'm going to chip in and do my part to bring everybody else. And then she found the industry to be attractive to her and then she pursued it from an educational perspective and then moved on up. So I think that there is a career path and you can start at any age. I mean, again, I was exposed to golf at a young age by my parents and that wasn't to play, it was to work on the golf course. Mm -hmm. You know, starting as the, you know, shagging golf balls for members that Addie, the summer job mowing the, the, the grass around the clubhouse and then, you know, the rest is history. So I think you have to encourage it, and it, it takes a certain personality, regardless of gender identity, to, to get into this industry anyways, because you have to be tough. And I, like I said, I, I think women are the toughest species on the planet, and I will, I will always say that. And uh, I think this is a great industry to get into. We all know it doesn't pay really, really good, but uh, it is what it is, and it's a great profession, and there's always going to be golf that's not going to pay. There's a new book out, and I have not had a chance to read it, but I did pick it up for my four-year-old because I always get her books either by or about powerful women. And the cover is a double X, the double X chromosome representative of, and the title of the book is On the, Gen On the Genetic Superiority of Women. And it's absolutely true. Uh, all the points you, you listed earlier and, and so many more. I'll give you a, give a great example. Uh, this is kind of a weird story. In New Jersey, when I worked at Golf House, the associate curator of our museum uh, was a big-time triathlon, and she and they had a world and a, and a national, nationally ranked squash player. And 
you know, she knew that I was running and I was trying to run marathons. So she says, I got to introduce you to a friend of mine, Tom Fleming. Well, if you know anything about distance running, mm-hmm. Tom Fleming was one of this country's greatest marathoners. And he had a store in, in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Well, I met him at golf. Well, he was just as interested in playing golf as I was interested in marathon. And we had about an equal ability in each other's sport. He couldn't hit a golf ball to save his life. I couldn't run, you know, putting one foot in front of the other is about as good as a guy for me. But he did help me to run marathons, and, he, and I helped him play golf. Well, his store was like the who's who of Northeastern national runners. I mean, you go sit there on a Saturday, and it would be these world-class runners just coming in and out asking advice. But it was mostly women. And Tom said, I would rather train female athletes to female runners than male runners because of their competitiveness, their drive, and their no-quit spirit. And he, he just, and that's where he told me, they are the toughest people on the planet. So I think, yes, there is gender superiority, and I'm the first one to admit it. This is a much larger conversation than obviously an 800-word column or the two of us talking for 20, 25 minutes, whatever it is, on a, on a podcast, but... What do you think has to happen uh, for, you know, it's never going to be 50-50 in the industry across the board, but just for an increase in uh, women participating and taking on more and more roles, leadership, and otherwise across the golf industry? Well, again, it's a two-three. Sure. Women have to want to get involved, learning to be a general manager, director of golf, uh, teacher, a golf teacher, or whatever, that, you know, they they have to take the initiative as well. You know, many of, many of my male counterparts that I spoke to were like, man, we have no problem, but the problem is no one wants to, from, from their perspective, no women want to get involved for whatever reason. Uh, when you look at the private equity clubs, I mean, you get these little blue blood clubs, we know what we're dealing with there, and as you can see, just if you stay topical, I mean, society is, is attempt change for the better, not only for race, but hopefully for gender as well, so that there's an equal opportunity for people. And if you provide that opportunity, I mean, I, I, I've seen successful women on club boards as club presidents. I've seen successful women as the general manager, director of golf, and now superintendent. But I still think we're, we're lagging a little bit in uh, women's participation in our industry. Now, is that the fault of the GCSA board? Maybe in some respects, maybe they haven't thought about it. I don't even know. But the women have to try to get involved in a local association and move on up the chain to get to the GCSA level to hopefully initiate more change as well. So it's needed, but it's a two-way street. And if you want equality, then you know, here's, here's, we're not going to give it to you. Yes, go earn it, but you're going to get the respect because of who you are. And this might be a bit of a rhetorical question. Uh you might look at me if we were face-to-face and just kind of give me the side-eye, but how does it compare to even, say, 10 years ago, uh, the number of women working in various areas across the industry? Well, I, I think it, it, I, I think it has, to, has to have improved because I see more people. I mean, I go uh, to more places and I see more women in uh, on all levels. Uh, you know, in club operations. So the participation has risen. I see, I just uh, interviewed uh, and, and, and got a, a 
superintendent search job at a club, and there were two women on the board, and one of the questions was asked to me, are you going to interview women? And I said, I, I will interview whoever is qualified for the job. And if there's a female out there that's qualified for the job, we'll, we'll see if they want to get involved and try to get a better job. So, yes, I do see it improve. That's good to hear. Before I let you go, Tim, on this Labor Day weekend, anything else uh, that you have going on, anything else you're working on, anywhere you're traveling to, or anything you've seen lately on or off the course that you want to talk about? Well, um, every place I've been, Matt, obviously because of the the C-19 dilemma, the participation is up. NGF just released golf rounds are up 20% first time in I don't know how many years. Astounding numbers. Everything is up because there's nothing to do other than be outside and in the fresh air and enjoy yourself, which is really kind of what golf is all about. Uh, I also see that it's not as much pressure to, you know, I played uh, played the uh, tournament course at Harbortown on Friday uh, with three people that, I mean, the golf wasn't great. But everybody, we all had fun, and the place is packed on a 100-degree day in South Carolina. Uh, I think that's great uh, for the game. Uh, I, I hope, uh, I think there was some, I don't know if it's a corn fairy event or a champions tour event that's going to have X amount of spectators back. I mean, watching tournament golf without spectators, and it's kind of like watching the hockey without the spectators, the, the, the emotion goes away. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of activity. And hopefully, by having nothing else to do sometimes but go and play golf, and you get hooked on what's so great about swinging a golf club and, and having a well-struck golf shot being one of the three or four greatest feelings in the world, uh, you know, I think that's good for our game. Those same National Golf Foundation numbers that were released, I think it was just last week, obviously 20% up, as you said, uh, August or July over July, this July over last July. But now up 3% for the year, year over year, through the end of July, which considering the number of courses that were closed two, three, four, five, six weeks, or are still closed, just astounding that overall percentage has increased 3% and still climbing uh, over 2019. Yeah. I just, I always thought, you know, that, you know, golf was always looked at kind of weird in the past because of polyester and white golf shoes and Caddy Shack and what have you, and, it, and then obviously the, the major problem with the game was the cost and the elitism that sometimes is involved. But now more, the more golf is played on daily fees than it is on private equity, so that's a good thing. So I think this one of the positives is the participation because if you can get in and, and it's not your grandfather's game anymore, the technology, the, the distance. Hell, I mean, I just like wearing the clothes. There's so many high-tech stuff out there to play when it's 100 degrees. Don't get soaking wet and sweaty. I think it's great. So everything is for the for the benefit. The superintendents are getting recognized for during this period of time for their efforts, male or female, because everybody wants to play golf, and when they go out there, you know, golf course in pretty good condition, despite labor problems, despite uh, in spite of budgetary problems, they go, holy cow, we got to thank our superintendent. And now the superintendent's starting to get a little more credit, which we all need because no one understands unless you've done it how hard it is to do. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. It'll be a very interesting year to look back on when we get to 
January 1st or February 1st. Uh, I guess m- the middle of March next year when we get a year past uh, the start of the pandemic, yeah. really the, the point of looking back. Well, I hope when if, if, if we do get a cure or a vaccine or whatever is out there that, that people just don't quit the game because, oh, I can go do my other stuff and that, that, that those numbers continue to rise and the passion stays because it is one of the greatest sports in the world and it's such a cool game to play. Right, the money you would have money you would have spent going out with your friends on a Saturday night to dinner and drinks, or the money you would have spent going to a baseball game. Um, you can still do those things, but you know, take a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, or midweek, and go play eighteen or nine. That's it. Just go play. Yep. Go play. That's what it's all about, and I'm I'm never going to change my tune on that. All you got to do is just get. Get, get hooked, get started, and, and off the rest of it. Well, Tim Morgan, always good to talk with you, and uh, thank you so much for a great column. As always, every column you've written I enjoy, but Beyond the Ladies' Tea in the September GCI, again, online this week and in mailboxes a little later this month. Tim, thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. Have a great day. You too. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Beyond the Page on the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine. My thanks again to Brent Downs, Director of Agronomy at Otter Creek Golf Club in Columbus, Indiana, and Tim Morgan, our monthly Outside the Ropes columnist. My thanks also to all of you for listening to the podcast, for reading the magazine, for keeping engaged with the conversation, and for helping keep this industry moving forward. We'll be back with more episodes of Beyond the Page, Off the Course, Greens with Envy, and Tartan Talks. Until then, may the course always grow in your favor, and the weather always stay on your side.